I mean, this was a desecration, 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 desecration of our whole system of government. Whole system, whole system, whole system. A freedom fighter named Pedro Moroni fought for his freedom against the Kingmen. He was a free part of the Freeman movement. Pedro Moroni, Pedro Moroni, Pedro Moroni, Just take a moment to view this travesty through the eyes of Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or any other dictator on earth who has a real interest in proving that democracy just doesn't work. Before Christ came to Jerusalem, in this land, Book of Mormon is about this land, right? The same fight for freedom this land, the same land right here upon which we stand, I'm here for freedom, you're here for freedom. Um, Captain Moroni ripped his coat and he wrote this message right here. Captain Moroni, Captain Moroni, Captain Moroni, It seems to me that what we need to solve our problems is both competence and compassion. Competence and compassion. We have seen so little of either lately. We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. And we have to clean it up. America is in a dire need of true heroes. Are we the heroes America will have? is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 704 sam harris Captain Moroni, and the fictional title of Self-Righteous Liberty. What a title, huh? And before I say anything else here, let me first say thank you for allowing me to share my thoughts with you today. And I want to remind you all of the podcast description that has been in place since the very first episode of Infants on Thrones back in August 2012. Infants on Thrones is an entertaining podcast about self-awareness and discovery following a Mormon faith transition. The title is an homage to the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith, who said that, quote, Eternity is full of thrones, upon which dwell thousands of children, reigning on thrones of glory with not one cubit added to their stature, end quote. It's a funny image, but it also suggests that we, as amateur podcasters, do not really have all the answers we may think we do. We can't take ourselves too seriously. We are also infants on thrones. Mm-hmm. 
Now, eight and a half years later, I still stand by that podcast description. So thank you once again for tuning in and allowing me to share my thoughts on self-awareness and self-discovery with you. If it ever sounds like I'm taking myself too seriously or that I'm preaching anything to you in this episode, please forgive me. I'm trying to figure this stuff out just like everyone else. And I've realized more and more lately that the stories that I usually tell myself about what's really going on in the world has much more to do with me and my thoughts and feelings about my own particular set of experiences throughout my life than it does anything that is really truly going on in the world. In other words, I have a mind full of fictions that color my perception of reality. And that's actually what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm going to start with this. You know that whole siege on the U.S. Capitol thing that happened earlier this month? You know, the angry mob that may or may not make Mormons think about the mobs in Ohio, Missouri, and Illinois that persecuted the saints way, way back in the day? Well, did you know that Captain Moroni was actually part of that siege? I'm Captain Moroni. I'm the William Wallace of the Book of Mormon. It's true. I'm not making it up. Take a listen. In the chat, in the chat, in the uh, Book of Alma, in the Book of Mormon, uh, a freedom fighter named Captain Moroni fought for his freedom against the Kingmen. He was a free part of the Freeman movement. Yeah, that's right. In the Book of Mormon, a freedom fighter named Captain Moroni fought against the Kingmen. You know, the ones who wanted a king instead of a democratically elected judge because the election was stolen by the Gadiant robbers and God wanted the people to have a king who stayed in office even after he was voted out, fraudulently of course, or, or something like that, right? Wait a minute. Chapter 32, Captain Moroni and the Title of Liberty. A wicked man named Joe Biden wanted to be king over the Nephites slash Americans. Many Nephites slash Americans had left the church to follow him. Which is how you know he was bad, because they left the church. If Joe Biden became king, he would try to destroy the church of God and take away the people's liberty. When Captain Moroni, the leader of the Nephite armies, heard of Joe Biden's plan to be king, he became angry. Moroni tore his coat to make a flag. On it, he wrote a message to remind the people to defend their religion, freedom, and peace. Moroni put the flag on a pole and called it the title of liberty. Then dressed in his armor, he knelt to pray. He asked God to protect those who believed in Jesus Christ and prayed for freedom in the land, calling it a land of liberty. Peace and happiness where I can jump tall buildings in a single bound. Moroni went among the people, waving the title of liberty. He called them to come and help protect their freedom. I'm Captain Moroni, a freedom fighter named Captain Moroni, fought for his freedom against the Kingmen. He was a free part of the Freeman movement. And around, I, I like to say 76 BC, because 17, 76 sounds so, it is so popular. Yeah, sure, let's just make up the timeline on this because, you know, 1776, the American Revolution, 76 BC, the Nephite Freeman thingy. Sure, let's roll with it. But before Christ came to Jerusalem, in this land, Book of Mormon is about this land, right? 
And the same fight for freedom, this land, the same land right here upon which we stand. Same fight for freedom, same land upon which we stand, same human biology that gives each one of us a human brain and an incredibly active, malleable mind that unknowingly uses things like confirmation bias to confirm our beliefs and blind us to disconfirming evidence and allows so many of us to create so many different perceptions of reality to the point where each and every one of us is essentially living in a fictional world of our own creation. The Native American Indians, they have Jewish DNA descent. I can tell you about, you can Google that. The Algonquin Indians have Jewish DNA, huh? Okay, I think I will Google that. Because we all want to find evidence for our truth claims, right? What good is a truth that isn't true? The Algonquin Indians have Native American, uh, have a uh, Jewish descent in their, in their DNA. There's evidence of the Book of Mormon. I don't want to get too much into that. I'm here for freedom. You're here for freedom. Um, Captain Moroni ripped his coat and he wrote this message right here. And if I could give it up. And... It says, America is in a dire need of true heroes. Are we the heroes America will have? Yeah! It says, in memory of our God and our religion and our freedom and our peace, our wives and our children. And it was called the title of liberty. And he held it up high when he fought against the kingmen. And they slayed the king. Babylon was going to destroy Jerusalem. The prophecy, Isaiah, everybody was saying, Jerusalem's going to get destroyed. I, I, I take it back, it might not be Isaiah. So Lehi and his family, Nephi and Laman and Lemuel and Sam, came to the Americas. And about the time before Jesus came, again, about 50 to 100 BC, about 50 to 100 BC, that fight happened that I just spoke of. And I'm here to represent that, the Mormon element. Now this guy's egoic fantasy may be easier to see than the egoic fantasy that you or I are creating in our malleable minds. But don't fool yourself into thinking that you're doing anything different than this guy's doing in your own mind. The details are likely different, but the confirmation bias filtering of reality to match our preconceived notions is mostly the same. The last part of that message was meant mainly for me. At least, that's what my imaginary inner voice inside my egoic mind is telling me. Because a lot of people are like, oh, Mitt Romney, you know, and I, it, there's a lot of infiltrators in our nation, in our capital, in our churches. I think Mitt Romney might be one of those people that have sold out to the system. Hmm, a lot of infiltrators in our nation and capital. Okay, let's pause now for a moment of zen, because, wow, just wow. When I was in school for some time When I came across the sign saying Who are you and where are you from? We don't let business come Who don't trust math for sex? Who just won't read? No respect yet, my ass Wait a little me Okay, our LARPing Captain Moroni sure believes some pretty silly things, right? This is sort of the thing that calls for a classic infant smackdown, right? Smack, smack, Now, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you probably expect a big smackdown here, because that's what we've been doing, right? Those of us looking at different teachings of the Mormon Church and asking, wait a minute, is that true? Is there any evidence for that truth claim? How can I know if this is true or not? And then being willing to go wherever the evidence takes us. That 
is intellectual honesty, right? Intellectual integrity. And it's a pretty good skill to have, right? To be able to examine our deeply held beliefs and let go of them if they're not true. We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. This is why I often look at the Mormon faith crisis that I went through as a kind of training ground for the real world. Because I was born, just like you, innocent. Free from any false beliefs. Free from any beliefs at all in my little infant mind. But I was taught over the years that reality is a certain way. I formed expectations and beliefs based on what I was told. Eventually I discovered that many of those things turned out to not be true. And it was hard to face that truth. It was hard to admit that I was wrong about things. But it was also liberating to be free from those false beliefs. One of those beliefs was that in order to be considered worthy, I needed to pay 10% of my income to the Lord, that the money would go to the poor and needy who were not as privileged as I was. But then a few things happened that made me question that belief. Was the money really going to the poor and needy? Did the Lord really need it? Was I really not worthy, aka worthless, if I didn't pay it? How did I feel about myself with this belief that my worth, or lack of worth, could be determined by paying money to a super wealthy church or not? How would I feel about myself if I didn't have that false belief? At some point, I intuitively recognized that I was making up a story in my own mind that was making me feel a lack of worth. So I stopped telling myself that story. And I stopped paying 10% of my income to an organization that has plenty of money and thereby gave myself an immediate 10% raise. I similarly stopped limiting my Sunday activities based on the false belief that very ordinary, benign activities like watching or not watching football, or going or not going water skiing, could make me either worthy or not worthy in the eyes of a God who, for some reason, cared about those kinds of things. So I examined those beliefs, I found them to be false, I let go of them, and I gave myself an extra day on the weekend to relax and de-stress. Liberating myself from false beliefs has been a good thing for me, right? Has it also been a good thing for you? So I reasoned that if it was good to liberate myself from false beliefs about Mormonism, then liberating myself from other false beliefs would be a little easier and bring similar benefits to my life, right? We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. Like for example, would it help this LARPing Captain Moroni guy at the US Capitol if he liberated himself from some of his false beliefs? It seems to me that what we need to solve our problems is both competence and compassion. We have seen so little of either lately. A freedom fighter named Captain Moroni fought for his freedom against the Kingmen. He was a free part of the Freeman movement. I'm here fighting for freedom, he claims. Really? Is that true? Your freedom is under attack? Yes, he might say, my freedom is under attack. Is that true? How can you know that it's true? You're freely assembling on the doorstep of the U.S. Capitol. You are freely speaking your ideas. 
The video of you doing this is freely being posted on YouTube where hundreds of thousands of people are freely viewing it and hearing what you have to say, freely adding their own two cents in the form of likes, dislikes, comments, and shares. Who exactly is attacking your freedom? Is that really true? How does it make you feel when you believe that it is true? How do you feel when you feel that you're being attacked? Afraid? Anxious? Angry? Maybe a little thrilled about being right when everyone who disagrees with you is wrong? How would your life be if you didn't have that belief? Would you be less fearful? Less anxious? Less angry? Less self-righteous? We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. What is true in this situation? All right, dear listeners, are you ready for me to throw a little wrench into this now? Is it true that this LARPing Captain Moroni guy should believe anything different from what he actually believes? Should he believe the truth instead of believing these fictions? What do you think? Well, here's what I think. The truth about this situation is that he believes what he believes. That is reality. It's just what it is. Just like I believe what I believe. Just like you believe what you believe. And there are real, actual, fact-based reasons why he and you and I believe what we believe. Books that we've read, people that we've listened to, experiences we've had, thoughts that we think, feelings that we feel. So many things that go into bringing each of us to wherever it is that we are right here, right now. It seems to me that what we need to solve our problems is both competence and compassion. That's just the way that things really actually are. Should they be different than how they are? If they were different, then they wouldn't be what they are. So is should an accurate snapshot of reality, of truth? Or is should an expression of what we think reality should be instead? Only in an imaginary, wouldn't it be better if things were different than they actually are kind of way, is it true that anything should be different than it is? What do you think about that? Look at it this way. Once upon a time, I held very similar beliefs to this LARPing Captain Moroni guy, and you probably did too. Maybe that was just a year ago, or five years ago, or 10 years ago. But just like in the case of paying tithing or keeping the Sabbath day holy, or any of the many other things that you may have once believed until you didn't, Something happened. Something happened to make us question those beliefs. Whatever that was, should we have questioned our beliefs before that thing happened? Could we have? If so, why didn't we? And honestly, how could we do that before we had any good reason to? It seems to me that what we need to solve our problems is both competence and compassion. Maybe you think that you should have seen things differently sooner. In an imaginary, wouldn't it have been better if things had happened differently than they did kind of way. But in the world of reality, in the world of facts about what actually happened and why it actually happened, it isn't very reasonable or intellectually honest to deny the reality of what actually exists in favor of a fiction that things should have been different than how they really were, or that they should now be different than how they really are. Thinking that we should do something different in the future is a completely different thing. 
We're just talking about what really is right now and what really was in the past. So if you, like me, are holding on to any false beliefs that you think you should have seen the truth before you actually did, I hereby give you logical, reasonable, non-woo-woo reasons to let go of that belief and accept yourself for who you are. And I give the same permission to our friendly LARPing Captain Moroni. Is it safe to say that he believes he is fighting for his freedom? That he feels that his freedom is being taken away? That his side is the good side and that the other side is the bad side? That he is righteous and the other side is wicked? Would it be inaccurate to say that he's feeling somewhat self-righteous? Yeah, self-righteous. You remember what that feeling's like, don't you? You know the truth and other people don't. Your knowledge of the truth gives you a leg up against the rest of the world. Remember that? I sure do. And if I'm being totally honest with myself, I don't have to go too far back in my mind to find a time when I was feeling pretty smug and self-righteous. Seeing this guy dressed up like Captain Moroni, for example, spouting nonsense about kingmen and freemen in 76 BC, well, that made me feel like I'm right and he's wrong. That's self-righteousness in my own mind, isn't it? Now, I saw this video on Facebook. It had hundreds of shares and hundreds of comments. And one of these comments said, how can any true believing Mormon look at him and not be embarrassed for themselves for believing this shit? His only true crime is openly saying he believes it. All right, is that true? Should true believing Mormons feel ashamed by association? They clearly don't. So that isn't a statement based on reality. It's a wish for reality to be different, right? Besides, is it really that easy for anyone to look at their own beliefs and sort out the true ones from the false ones? How did you do it before you actually did it? Are you still doing it? Are you still interested in doing it? Are you committed to doing it, to getting rid of your false beliefs? And is it really a crime for this LARPing Captain Moroni guy to openly say he believes what he truly actually believes? Is that true? Is it really a crime? We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. Okay, maybe calling it a crime is just exaggerating to make a point. He didn't really mean crime, he just meant that this guy should know better. Is it really true that he should know better? That he should be anything other than what he is? He is how he is based on everything he has really, truly, actually ever experienced, just like me, just like you. What mechanism do you propose to change reality to match this wishful, magical thinking that he should be different than what he is? That just isn't true. It isn't reality. It's a wish, a hope, and a judgment. And it's more than just a little self-righteous. Now, I think of self-righteousness as a kind of cancer of the mind. Unhealthy ecology of ideas. It's a cancer that I discovered in myself a long time ago. I don't remember when I first became aware of my own self-righteousness, but there are a few stories that come to mind. One, I was 19 years old. I had just finished eight weeks of intense language and missionary training in the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, and I was sitting on an airplane 
flying from Salt Lake to Los Angeles en route to Japan. I was sitting across the aisle from Elder Shepard, who I didn't really like very much. He had been our district leader in the MTC, and I think that little power trip went directly to his head. He chastised me for so many ticky-tacky things. I mean, literally. Once on a fast Sunday, he actually chastised me for eating a Tic Tac, telling me that my transgression had disqualified the entire district's fasting efforts. And that's just one example. He told us that since we were only allowed to write home one day a week on P-Day, that we should only read letters from home once a week on P-Day as well. He starched all of his white shirts. He starched and ironed his socks. Yeah, he was one of those guys. Stephen Arasas Knudsen III was based on guys like Elder Shepard. So anyway, I was sitting across the aisle from him on this airplane heading to Los Angeles, and he was sitting next to a dark-skinned woman who was a minister from the Southern Baptist Church. And he decided to try to convert her right there on the plane. I listened in horror and shame as he told her that blacks used to not be able to have the priesthood, but now they could. Isn't that great? And I wanted to just smack him when she asked him why there were no female missionaries traveling with us. And he said, oh, there are, he said proudly and pointed to the two sisters sitting a few rows behind him. Girls can be missionaries too, he told her. But they go when they're 21 instead of 19 because the Lord would rather they got married and start having babies. <laughs> I couldn't believe he had said that. I couldn't believe he thought that was a selling point. He should have thought things through a little better, I thought. I would have done it so much better, I reasoned. At least, that's how I saw myself in relation to him. He was messed up. I wasn't. And at some point, many years later, I realized my role in judging him and making up all kinds of false stories about him, this woman, and myself in my mind. Unhealthy ecology of ideas. So that's self-righteous memory number one. Self-righteous memory number two. It was fast and testimony meeting, that auspicious first Sunday of every month where anyone can get up in church to basically say whatever the hell they want to over the pulpit. I was in my early 30s, living in a college town in a university ward, and I home-taught a couple who were a little younger than I was. They had met while the guy was a missionary in Poland. She had been one of his Polish investigators. He had converted her in more than one way. And I gotta tell you, she was gorgeous super gorgeous. It made me more than a little uncomfortable how gorgeous I thought she was. She was also very nice and smart and funny. I liked her. I liked them both. And one day she got up to bear her testimony. She told the story of how her Jewish grandfather had been in a Nazi concentration camp, that the war had ended just before he was scheduled for the gas chamber, and that she now knew beyond the shadow of any doubt that the reason the war ended when it did and his life was spared as it was, was the work of a loving Heavenly Father in Heaven who was paving the way so that her Jewish grandfather could someday have a super gorgeous granddaughter who would meet the Mormon missionaries and get baptized and go through the temple to do his work for him along with all of their known ancestors so that they didn't have to be stuck in spirit prison for too long. Oh no, I thought. What a stupid, myopic, and potentially offensive way of reframing the freaking Holocaust. She should know better. Suddenly, she didn't seem so incredibly attractive to me. She should have thought things through a little better, I thought. I would have done it so much better, I reasoned. 
At least that's how I saw myself in relation to her. She was messed up, and I wasn't. Now, I recognized that I was judging her in that moment, and I hated myself for doing it, but I didn't know how to stop doing it. I was just being true to what I thought and felt, that I knew a better way to tell the story of Mormonism than she did. So that's self-righteous memory number two. And I could go on and on with stories like this. Self-righteousness is one of the main reasons that I left the church. I didn't want to be the way that I was, and I blamed the church for it for the longest time, and maybe a little bit I still do. A church that teaches that we're right and everybody else is wrong. I wanted to distance myself from that. But it wasn't really just the church, was it? It was also me. It was the way I responded to the environment that I was in. My little brother, who grew up with the same parents, same ward, same teachings, he walked away from the church in high school, and I judged him for doing that too, because I liked the feeling of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness was how I covered up my many insecurities. Self-righteousness made me feel like it was okay to constantly judge other people, seeing flaws in them and believing that those flaws were actually theirs instead of mine. Self-righteousness made it so that I didn't think I had to look very deeply into my own mind, into my own heart, where I was carrying a whole host of flawed fictional ideas about the world, unexamined, flawed ideas that were mine, no one else's. Unhealthy ecology of ideas. Self-righteousness shut me off from other people. It made them unreachable to me. And it shut me off from even truths about myself. There are times when it still does. So, yeah, the LARPing Captain Moroni, Trump-supporting freedom fighter, is not the only one who's self-righteous. In fact, I doubt I would know how to see it in him if I didn't have that deep inside myself as well. And now I want to talk about how I came to better see that deep inside myself. And this leads me to Sam Harris and meditation, mindfulness. What, what I later came to consider the true purpose of meditation, it revealed for me the the fact that it was possible to have a very different experience of of myself and the world and and my, my sense of my being in the world and just it was possible to have a much better life than I was going to have by just living out the the implications of my own conditioning and tendencies at that point. Now a lot of you listeners listen to Sam Harris's Making Sense podcast. And I assume that many of you also use his waking up meditation app. Maybe you've heard Sam's most recent podcast episode, number 230, An Insurrection of Lies. In this episode, Sam breaks down two major errors that he sees in the way that people are responding to the siege on the Capitol earlier this month. He sees the conservative side as downplaying the event, comparing it to the Black Lives Matter protest this summer, and he spends quite a bit of time showing why that view is wrong. He also sees the liberals as blaming the siege on a misguided woke idea that racism is somehow at the core of the siege on the Capitol, and he spends some time showing why that view is wrong. Of course, he frequently gets criticized by many people on both the right and the left, and in the middle of the episode, after pointing out the absurdity of a false belief held in the minds of a delusional mob who invaded the Capitol, he goes on a really brilliant tirade about meditation and the value that it should and should not play in real-world issues like the siege on the Capitol. And if you really want to have some fun with this one, count the number of shoulds that Sam uses in this next excerpt. There will be a quiz. And of course, the ultimate Trump derangement syndrome sent a delusional mob attacking the Capitol. 
imagining that this was a path to securing Trump another four years as president. As I hear myself getting tuned up here, I want to respond to one species of criticism I keep getting on social media. I think I should have cleared this up a long time ago because there is some conceptual confusion here. I keep hearing from people who are apparently contented users of the Waking Up app who say things like, your app has changed my life, I'm getting incredible value from it, but I find your comments on politics really off-putting. These are not the sort of things that a teacher of mindfulness should be saying. You know, there are many versions of this. People tweet me and they say, you should use your own app. You know, you sounds like you need some mindfulness. Let me clear this up. If you think there is something about meditation, successful meditation, right? If you think there's something about cutting through the illusion of the self or recognizing the nature of mind prior to concepts, if you think there's some necessary contradiction between that project and caring about the kinds of problems I'm talking about now, you're confused. There is nothing incompatible between mindfulness and not wanting to lose a cyber war, say. There is no contradiction between what I'm saying now and how I'm saying it and the practices or worldview I present in waking up. You may disagree with some points I'm making here. There are probably several things worth debating. But if you think that meditative insight should cause one not to care about the implosion of our democracy or about our ongoing failure to deal with civilizational challenges, if you think we get to not care about the world we're building or reckon the world that our children will be condemned to live in, it's time to take your head out of your ass. And if you think I can't say that mindfully or mean that mindfully, in this very tone of voice, if you think it's impossible for me to be mindful right now, non-dualistically mindful, right, free of self mindful, even as I tell you to take your head out of your ass, then you are confused about what mindfulness is and about what meditation is and about what the whole project of living an examined life is. You have mistaken a style of communication, an anodyne, religious, or new-agey communication, and a pseudo-ethic around being as inoffensive as possible for the goal of spiritual life. Yes, there are some apparent paradoxes here, but there should be no confusion. Yes, it is possible to be free and happy in almost any circumstance. Right? I believe that is true. If you put me in solitary confinement, I know that I could be happy. Given what I know about my own mind, that is true. And that is an immense strength, born entirely of meditation, and it's available to everyone. But that doesn't mean that we should acquiesce to the ruination of everything, to the breakdown of society. If we find ourselves living in some hellscape out of the Road Warrior movies, Yes, it will still be possible to meditate and to feel compassion for oneself and others and to find equanimity. That is the capacity of the human mind that will not go away. But we are right not to want to see things totally fall apart in our society. And if your practice of meditation is making you unable to take problems of civilizational importance seriously, well, then you may be managing your own stress well. 
but you're no good to us. What we need now are people who understand their own minds and who also understand the world. I mean, I studied with some of the greatest meditation masters who were alive at the end of the 20th century. These were extraordinary teachers, but they didn't know a damn thing about most of what I talk about on this podcast. And if they were alive today, they still wouldn't. And it is a very good thing that people like that aren't in charge of our cyber war capabilities, because then we wouldn't have any. We have to play this game on multiple levels. So it's great that many of you are getting value out of waking up. But if you don't like me in this mode, when I'm actually doing my best to respond to a real emergency in our culture, if you don't understand that we need to mount a competent response to the challenges we face on a hundred fronts, you're not really getting what I'm teaching over there at Waking Up. You can't let meditation turn you into a New Age goofball who just burns incense and thinks that the universe is one big mystery and that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes things happen for bad fucking reasons, and a whole generation or generations lose the most basic capacity for order and for getting what they want in life and lose good things they didn't need to lose. You know, sometimes the barbarians really do come through the gates. Yes, we can always have conversations about the fundamental nature of reality. We can have them here, in this circumstance, of relative order and prosperity, where we can take important things for granted, where I can have a podcast and you can have a smartphone on which to hear it. Or we can contemplate reality after we've bombed and hacked and surveilled and abused ourselves back into the Dark Ages. Okay, the nature of consciousness is available everywhere, even in a cave. And many great contemplatives have found it in a cave. I've met great Tibetan yogis who have spent years in caves, but I would prefer not to have to live in one because the world has become a Cormac McCarthy novel. And you would prefer it too, no matter how much you meditate. There is simply no contradiction between deep insight into the nature of mind and getting our shit together out in the world. That tirade was brought to you by Waking Up, a meditation app. All right, how many shoulds did you hear? I heard five explicit shoulds and two implicit shoulds. First, that he should have addressed this a long time ago, which I interpret as him saying that he acknowledges that he did not address this a long time ago, but he wishes that he would have. So once again, the should is a difference between reality and a wish for something different from reality. Then he uses a couple of shoulds for his listeners who criticize him about what he should do differently than what he does. And he goes on to show why those shoulds are based on misunderstandings. Again, they're fictions rather than reality. And what about those two implied shoulds? Well, I think he's basically saying his main point is one, if you're criticizing him about mindfulness, then you should get your head out of your ass. And two, everyone should care about what's going on in the world. Now, I want to play one more excerpt from his podcast before this, 229, A Few Things for a New Year, where he lays out the problem as he sees it, and he calls for a solution. It seems to me that what we need to solve our problems is both competence and compassion. We have seen so little of either lately. And merely dunking on people on Twitter won't produce these things. Becoming a single-issue thinker 
won't produce these things. We have to recognize that we're living in an unhealthy ecology of ideas. It's become like a superfund site of bad memes, and we have to clean it up. Anyway, I intend to use my podcast this year to bring you useful conversations in this vein. Not every episode will be about solving problems. Sometimes we just need to hear about interesting things in physics. But more and more, I want to drill down to ideas that actually have consequences for people's lives, whether personally or at the level of public policy. So I'm looking to speak with guests who can help me figure out what we should all be doing to make life better. I like his use of language here. Unhealthy ecology of bad ideas. Ecology, an ecosystem, a system of bad ideas. Now, where do bad ideas live? Well, they live in our minds, don't they? And what do you mean by bad? Do you mean unhealthy, unhelpful, false, not true? Do I have an ecology of bad ideas living in my mind? Do you have bad ideas living in yours? How do we get bad ideas out of our minds? Are you going to get them out of my mind? Am I going to get them out of your mind? Was the Mormon church able to keep their bad ideas inside of our minds when we decided, eh, I don't want those in there anymore? Who is responsible for the ideas that we carry in our minds? I also like that he said that he wants to explore ideas that have consequences for people's lives. So I've got a few of those. Here's one. How about an idea of identifying self-righteousness and whenever it pops up, avoiding it in our own minds? Here's another. How about we identify false ideas, our fantasy-based shoulds, instead of accepting reality as it actually is in our own minds? Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't put all of our efforts into improving the world that we live in so that tomorrow is better than today was. What I mean is don't confuse shoulds for past or present realities instead of future possibilities. It's not helpful to say, I should have done this differently. What you really mean is, in the future, I'm going to do it differently. But the language that we use confuses us. Maybe? I don't know. That's my thought. What do you think? Sam says that we need people who understand their own mind and also understand the world. Now, I'm only barely beginning to understand my own mind. And the only thing I really understand about the world is that it's populated by billions of other human minds that are biologically similar to mine, but very different in experience and perceived reality. No one's mind is an identical duplicate to my mind because no one has ever experienced, thought, or felt exactly the same set of experiences that I've experienced, thought about, or felt over the course of my life. And I certainly can't speak for anyone other than myself. I can barely speak for myself. But I feel pretty safe believing that everyone has some degree of self-righteousness that they could let go of if they wanted to, if they knew how to. Because at the end of the day, whether you support Trump or Biden, whether you're a Mormon or an ex-Mormon, whether you are in a position of privilege or not, you probably think that you're right about what you think that you're right about and that people who disagree with you are wrong. And if you really examine those beliefs, and if you asked, are they true or not, you might find a way to not only manage your own stress levels better, but also avoid unnecessary conflict with others. 
Does believing that make me a new age goofball who just burns incense and thinks that the world is one big mystery, that I'm no good to anyone? That's some pretty strong rhetoric. So in the spirit of ideas that probably deserve to be debated. You may disagree with some points I'm making here. There are probably several things worth debating. I have a few questions for Sam, based on some other strong rhetoric from his most recent episode. So in the spirit of examining my own thoughts, in the spirit of eradicating self-righteousness from my mind, in the spirit of eradicating false ideas from my mind, I may have misunderstood some of the things that Sam said. In his critique of conservatives who compare the siege on the Capitol to the Black Lives Matter rallies this past summer, he says this. They were not looting a shopping mall. They were storming the halls of Congress at the direct encouragement of the President of the United States, who had convinced them over the course of months that their democracy had literally been stolen from them, that they don't have a democracy anymore, that they don't have a country anymore, and that they must fight to get it back. He set them loose on the Capitol that very morning saying that he would be with them. If you don't see a difference between that and a BLM protest that devolves into looting and arson, take a moment and try. There is no analogy to be drawn here. Now, is that true? Is there really no analogy to be drawn here? Because I drew an analogy immediately when I heard it. What if I said that you had a group of people who were fueled by the anger that their side was right and the other side was wrong. Which situation am I describing here? The Black Lives Matter protests or the siege on the Capitol? Can't you find a common thread there? That some sense of we are right and they are wrong is a root cause in both cases? And if every person were to express why they believe what they believe about whatever it is that they believe? Both competence and compassion. Wouldn't they truly be describing the truth of their own lived experience? A truth that may not be fully examined, may not be fully rid of false beliefs, but is, nevertheless, the true reason why they feel how they feel and act how they act, regardless whether anyone else thinks it should be different from what it is or not. But wait, there's more. To not acknowledge the gravity of what happened here, to not acknowledge the degree to which it disgraced our country and weakened it in the eyes of the world. Has our country really been disgraced? Is that true? Is there really no more grace to be found anywhere in this country? Has our country really been weakened in the eyes of the world? I mean, maybe it has and I just can't see it, but I honestly don't know what that even means. Weakened how? Isn't what happened a testament to the strength of our country? The strength of our system of government? Of the checks and balances put in place that protect the rights of free speech, even of fake news? The rights of free assembly, even in a time of major pandemic? That U.S. citizens could storm the U.S. Capitol, demanding our legislature to act in ways that violate the structure of our country, but then to be so ineffective as a tactic? that it made six of eight Republicans change their mind about protesting the election results. Isn't it possible to see what happened as an evidence of the strength of our country rather than something that disgraced or weakened it? Unhealthy ecology of ideas. Desecration, 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 desecration. I mean, this was a desecration of our government, of our whole system of government, engineered 
by the president himself. A mob was set upon the Capitol by the president himself for the purpose of disrupting the certification of an election that he lost, absolutely lost, but claims to have won. Just take a moment to view this travesty through the eyes of Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or any other dictator on earth who has a real interest in proving that democracy just doesn't work, right? That there's nothing to aspire to. They have captive populations who they are messaging to. Now they get to tell them that democracy is bullshit, right? That having a free press is just dangerous bullshit, right? Because it drives people insane. Yeah, is this true? Do they really now get to tell their people that democracy is bullshit? Haven't they been doing that this whole time anyway? And once again, is the siege on the Capitol truly an example of democracy failing? Or is it an example of the strength and character of most people in this country and their love of democracy, their desire to keep it going, even when they're wrong about the threat of it being taken away? Take a moment to view this travesty through the eyes of Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin. Now this tactic kind of reminds me of when I was a kid and I was told that if I do something wrong, it's going to make the devil happy. Look at this through the eyes of Putin. You're giving him what he really wants. Really? Okay. Well, then why not tell the story that this is a strength for democracy rather than a weakness? And that's actually closer to the truth anyway, isn't it? And closer to where we want to see our country go. I am genuinely concerned that we have tens of millions of people in Trumpistan now who are, for all intents and purposes, totally unreachable. Totally unreachable. Totally unreachable. Totally unreachable. Yeah, are, are these people really unreachable? Is that true? They can't be reached at all? Any of them? Now what does that even mean? That they're unreachable, that you can't convince them that they're wrong and that you're right? Is there no way to reach somebody by talking with them, listening to them, understanding where they're coming from, accepting the legitimacy of their concerns rather than simply thinking that they're stupid and beyond reclamation? We need to mount a competent response to the challenges we face on a hundred fronts. And I think that an important measure of competence here, of being effective, is to go inside, be mindful, examine our own false beliefs, and drop the self-righteousness. You can't let meditation turn you into a New Age goofball. So I ask you, dear listeners, as I expose my mind to you and share these thoughts with you, am I wrong? Am I wrong to see that the country's overall response to the siege is an encouraging sign for where we are in our democracy rather than seeing it as an abject and untenable failure? Am I wrong to think that self-righteousness in myself is what makes other people who I judge to be stupid unreachable? Maybe I am wrong about these things. But I would like to now don my own Captain Moroni LARPing outfit for a minute and share with you my new personal title of liberty. And it goes a little something like this. In memory of our former false beliefs, our commitment to constant self-awareness, integrity, and intellectual honesty, to freedom from self-righteous untruths about myself and others, to our inner peace of mind, to accepting what truly is rather than being totally unreasonable and unreachable because reality is not the way I think it should be, 
And yeah, 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 for our wives and our children and our ever-burning incense. You can't let meditation turn you into a New Age goofball. I hereby rend this fictional cloak and end this episode of Infants on Thrones. In the name of LARPing Captain Moroni's everywhere, amen. Amen. Down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow up behind the scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So we